Well, before his uh, death in 2011, Christopher Hitchens, who was an English-American author, uh, he was known for his disbelief in God. Uh, Some would have called him an atheist, uh, but he liked to call himself an anti-theist. Not only did he not believe in God, but he was resistant to and an advocate against people who did believe in God. In his book, Letters to a Young Contrarian, he wrote, I'm not even an atheist so much as I am an anti-theist. I not only maintain that all religions are versions of the same untruth, but I hold that the influence of churches and the effect of religious belief is positively harmful. And in another book uh, that was the number one on the New York bestsellers list for, the, for um, its third week, has a title, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And so this is a man who has made a career out of speaking against a belief in God. And so when he died, there was quite a stir within the religious community because there was a Christian author who spent some time with Hitchens in his final months uh, debating him uh, in different public forums, and he published a book that, that speculated that a dying Hitchens was moving toward belief in God. But there were several of, his, of Hitchens' family and friends, including his wife, that said, no, in fact, he did go to his deathbed not believing in God, not even speaking of God in those final moments. His wife said he lived by his principles until the end. To be honest, the subject of God didn't come up. And so... There are those people who engage in the conversation, engage in the debate of who God is and what he claims to be, yet do not make the choice to believe and do not walk in the light. As our Isaiah passage showed, there are those who are walking in darkness And then there are those who see the great light. And so we see darkness as this metaphor throughout Scripture. Darkness is life without God. And light is our life with God. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. He is a guy who was actively persecuting the church, actively executing Christians. And on that Damascus road, a great light from heaven comes down and blinds him, flashes around him. And in this instance, it is a very literal light that surrounds him. And it's at this moment that he is converted, and there is not just the physical light, but the inner enlightenment that happens in this newfound commitment to follow Jesus. There are great conversion stories in Scripture and great conversion stories throughout history and conversion stories within this room of people who have encountered the light in some way and have made that choice to enter into the light and believe. The light of God is turned on. It invades into the darkness, but the light requires a response. 
It requires a decision. It requires belief. And it's in those places of darkness that we, we struggle with our faith. We struggle with life. It's in those places of darkness that we find God. It's when the light invades into our darkness that we experience God. And so we're in this series going through the Gospel of John where this theme of light and darkness plays out over and over. Where the darkness represents a place that is out of the presence of God. And Jesus comes in as the light of the world, comes in as the light of God into this place of darkness and illuminates the world that he enters into. In John chapter 2, which we're, we're skipping over today uh, and going straight into John chapter 3, in John chapter 2, Jesus has these great signs in his public ministry. In the wedding feast in Cana, in the temple in Jerusalem, and, and it helps to identify that Jesus is someone different. He comes into the world as a light, and he comes in as, as a message of hope. He comes in, and he is, in fact, the Messiah. And then in chapter 3, we shift from a very public ministry into more of a private conversation into this one-on-one -on -one encounter with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, we get a look at Jesus, and we're reminded of his mission, a mission that he stated in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 4, that says, In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. We talked about that last week, that there is life that comes from the light of Jesus. And so Jesus does not come to establish some great new religion. He doesn't come in to establish some great institution. He comes in to give life, to give hope, and to give renewal to all people. And that is the mission of Jesus. And so we get to John chapter 3, and we're presented with a counter story. It's, it's a story that occurs at night. It's a story that occurs in the dark. And it's in this place of darkness that, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he's asking questions. And he's wondering, who is this person? Who is this one? I've, I've seen the signs, but who is he? Nicodemus is a great rabbi. He has a great reputation. Jesus refers to him as the teacher, not a teacher. And so this is a person who is very much a part of the establishment, very much a part of the institution. And he comes to Jesus. He's part of the ruling council. He is a Pharisee. And this is the man who comes with great confidence, knowing what he believes, and comes to this Jesus and makes these observations about who he is. Nicodemus appears twice more in, in, in John. In chapter 7, he shows up at the Feast of Tabernacles, and later he shows up at Jesus' burial. And so he's this character who pops in and out throughout the story. But we never really get a good sense of how Nicodemus has responded to the light of Jesus. And so even though Jesus' conversation is with Nicodemus in chapter 3 that we're getting ready to read, 
the conversation really engages us. It's a conversation that we can have with the text as we read through. And so I want you to put yourself in the place of Nicodemus as we read through this story, as we read through this dialogue. In verses 2 through 10, we have this interaction and this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And it's full of wordplay, it's full of misunderstanding, it's full of irony. And then in verses 11 through 21, we shift into this great discourse from Jesus. This theological statement of who he is and why he's come and where he's come from. So let's begin reading in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. What a great statement. An affirmation of who Jesus is. You are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter, um, cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? So what an interesting interaction here. We have this great teacher coming to Jesus and acknowledging that Jesus has to have come from God, but is still uncertain about the role that Jesus plays in this whole thing. And I love how Jesus responds to Nicodemus. He never really answers the statements. He comes up with other statements about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus comes in the night. Some think it's because he, he didn't want to be seen by the others because of his position of authority. He, it would be scandalous for him to show up and engage in this conversation with Jesus, and that may be the case. But John also speaks very metaphorically of the night, and the night is a place where God's presence is absent. And so this is where Nicodemus comes in as as a teacher, as a ruler, as one with authority. And he he comes in to the place of night because the presence of God is not with him. And this is the place where Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he starts with this statement, we know. We know the signs. 
We know that you have to be from God, and so he's representing some larger group. It's not I have seen, we have seen, and we know, and we have witnessed these things. We have witnessed these signs, and these signs point to you being from God. And so Jesus' response, you would think, would be, good job, you got it figured out. No, Jesus' response is very different. Jesus comes up with this response that that makes a statement about the kingdom in a very different way. He says that to really be in the kingdom, you have to be born again. And so Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is from God because of the signs, and Jesus says it's not the signs that are important. It's important that you're born again. And so this opens us up into this wide range of interpretation where we see this phrase, born again, and it's a phrase that has been adopted by evangelical circles in a very aggressive way, that this becomes the identifying label of a Christian, a born-again Christian. But this is the only place that this phrase shows up. And so what does it mean to be born again? The word that Jesus says here for again is in true form with John, a word that has a double meaning. And so when he says born again, he is using a word that means two different things. One one way to interpret it is that he is saying that you are born again, and that's how the NIV and most other translations translate it, born again, but it also means born from above. That there are these two meanings, that it's not just born again, but born from above. And I don't know if you can come up with one, but translators have not been able to come up with a word that has that same double meaning in English. And so we have to pick one, which means we lose half of the meaning of what Jesus is saying. Because half of what Jesus is saying is that you have to be born from above. That where you're being born from is just as important to the regeneration and the rebirth that you are experiencing. And so he is challenging Nicodemus and saying that it's not just about the signs. You have to be born from above again. If you want to be a part of the kingdom. Believing the signs is not enough. And this, like it does for us, causes confusion for Nicodemus. Because he hears a very literal thing. He hears born again, and now his imagination can only go to how does a grown man get born again? How how can a grown man enter back into the mother's womb and be born again? It makes no sense. It didn't to him, it doesn't to us. Because that's not what Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus responds again with another phrase to help clarify even more. And in his clarification, he gives us another double meaning. Because he says it's not just about being born again. He says, born of water and spirit. And so if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you have to be born again. If you want to be part of the kingdom, you have to be born of water and spirit. Now, as Christians, this very much carries a tone of baptism with it. Now, when we think born of water, we immediately think of the baptismal waters. But Nicodemus is not a Christian. 
And Nicodemus isn't thinking about baptism. And so when he hears Jesus say that you have to be born of water and spirit, what is it that Nicodemus is hearing? Now, there's one interpretation of it that can be quite literal, that when you are born, you are physically born through water. The water breaks, and that is a sign that baby is coming. And so born of water and born of spirit. You're born of a very natural way, and you're born of a spiritual way. And so there is this, this tension between the natural and the spiritual, the tangible and the spiritual. And so Jesus says the entrance into the kingdom requires a physical birth and a spiritual rebirth. Spirit and flesh are held together. But another thing that Nicodemus could be hearing is something that he would have heard in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, through the prophets. Because the prophets, at times, link together this idea of water and spirit. In Isaiah chapter 44, it says, "...for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground." I will pour out my spirit on your offsprings and my blessing on your descendants. And so there's this connection between the pouring out of water, the physical, with the pouring out of the spirit, the spiritual. And these two are described together, where, where water and spirit are joined together as life-giving gifts of God. And so we see here Jesus describing life in the kingdom as one who has to be born again in a very physical way, a place from, from where new birth is generated, but also from above. And so the, the kingdom of God has this, this temporal and this spatial dimension. And we have to reconcile these two and, and rest in the tension of these two. And so as we think about what it means to be born again, born from above, it's not just an emphasis on a personal decision to follow Jesus. It's not an emphasis on personal change more than it is a focus on the external. It's a focus on the source of change. That it's not just the decision that we make to follow Jesus. It's not just our belief in Jesus, but it's the source of that new life. And the source of the new life is Jesus. The human and the divine are all held together. And so Jesus' words speak of this radical new birth. It's, it's generated from above. But Nicodemus just can't go there. His imagination cannot comprehend anything past the physical. He's stuck in a very tangible understanding of who Jesus is. He can't wrap his head around the spiritual, the from above, the spirit side. And so then Jesus enters into a monologue, a discourse, the dialogue is over, and he goes into an explanation of what we've just encountered with Nicodemus. Starting in verse 11. Very truly I tell you, 
We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? This tension between the earthly and the heavenly. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus knows both worlds. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does... But, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So Nicodemus starts his, his statement to Jesus, We know. And so Jesus responds in his discourse with, we know. We speak of what we know. So Jesus is saying, you think you know, but I really know. Because I came from a place that knows heaven and earth. I've existed in both places. And so I can speak to the physical and I can speak to the spiritual. Jesus comes with great authority. He has this privileged access to God, and he, he can move between the two. And so when he speaks, he speaks with great knowledge and great understanding of how it works. And so as we look at this, this chunk of Scripture, it's easy for us to simplify things down to a bumper sticker or a, even a numerical phrase where we just put 316 on something. 316 shows up all over the place. It shows up at, at sporting events and on different products and on posters and bumper stickers. And, and it simplifies the message down to God loving the world so much that he would send his son, which is absolutely the gospel message. But there are, are so many different layers to what this passage is trying to say. The action and the dialogue and the discourse all interact with one another. They're all intertwined to, to give us this deeper meaning of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus comes into this place. He's, he's in this place of darkness. He's not with God. And he questions Jesus. He sees Jesus. He, he even gives testimony to the things that Jesus has done. But Nicodemus does not enter into the light. That may have changed 
after Jesus' death when he comes in and is a part of the burial. But at this moment, Nicodemus is still in the dark. He has not entered into the light yet. And so as readers of this story, we need to enter into it. We need to put ourselves in the place of Nicodemus and say, we have encountered Jesus. We have seen his signs, but the signs are not enough for us to enter into the kingdom. And so we put, our place in, our, we put ourselves in the place of Nicodemus and we look and say, how are we reshaped by this story? How do we encounter God as we read these words, as, as Jesus describes who he is and where he's coming from and what he's up to? How, is our lives, how do our lives change from that? And so as we look at this, there's, there's a few observations. One is Jesus goes into the darkness. The conversation is happening at night. The conversation is happening in the darkness, and Jesus is meeting Nicodemus there. And so the conversation happens in the darkness. Jesus comes into the world, which is dark. He enters into it. He comes as the Father's gift to us. He comes into the world, definitely a world of darkness. And not only that, he continues on that path all the way to the cross and enters into the darkness in a way that we cannot even imagine as he dies on a cross for us. And so when Jesus is talking about the Son of Man being lifted up, John uses this, this phrase of being lifted up as this, this continuum of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection all being one piece together. And Jesus is lifted up for us. He's lifted up on a cross. He's lifted up out of the grave. Jesus enters into the darkness Another observation is Jesus invites a response. That with that light comes a need for an answer. And so Nicodemus can really be a, a mirror for us to see ourselves. We put ourselves into the story. Nicodemus saw the works of Jesus. He asked questions. He made observations. He listened. But ultimately, he did not become the disciple that Jesus was calling him to be. And so oftentimes, I feel like religious people have a lot of religious answers and spend a lot of time pursuing religious things and religious activities. And so we are seeing and we are observing the work of God. We see the signs of God, but, but somehow it stops there. And we have not made this real decision to believe, to really follow to really enter into the light. And so what is our response to the light invading the darkness? If we will enter into that light, Jesus promises us transformation. And so Jesus brings transformation, that, that being born again, being born from above, being born of water and of spirit, it all speaks to the new life that is found in Jesus. 
that life happens there. That is what we were created for. And so it's, it's a restoration of humanity into a new life. The world is broken beyond repair, and so God sends his son to bring new life to that broken world. One commentary describes the transformation this way. The transformation offered to Nicodemus also opens the question and the nature of true religion. That is, religion is not necessarily a matter of personal knowledge or ethical behavior, nor is it a fidelity to religious traditions, no matter how virtuously they evoke higher ethical religious behavior among us. Jesus is claiming that true spirituality is not discovering some latent capacity within the human soul and then trying to fan the flame. It is not uncovering a moral consciousness that is hidden by the sedimentary layers of civilization's corruptions, nor is it inspiring aesthetic qualities that promote society in its finest form. It's not a horizontal experience that takes up the materials available around us in the world. He says, rather, Jesus' claim is that true religion is vertical. It has to do not with the human spirit, but with God's spirit. It's a foreign invasion, sabotage of the first order True religion unites humanity with God's powerful spirit who overwhelms and transforms and converts in the full meaning of the word. Our role in this transformation is belief. And yet, it is a belief that is aided by God's work, God's work within us since we live in the darkness and have our spiritual capacities handicapped by sin. We live in a place of darkness. And all we have to do is believe in the light. And that belief, through the power of the Spirit working in us, brings about transformation. This is what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians when he says, All this is from God. All this, Jesus coming to the earth, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being raised from the dead, he comes who reconciled, uh, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. This is given to us. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the reconciliation that we receive. Believing in Jesus is belief that Jesus is the Son of God. He loved the world so much that he would send his son as a gift. 
And God revealed in Jesus a God whose love knows no bounds and who asks only that we receive the gift. And if you receive the gift, you receive eternal life because one's life is reshaped and redefined by the life of God in Jesus. So this is who Nicodemus comes to. What decision will you make? Will you continue on or will you enter into the light? Many of us have made that decision and it's a decision we have to continue making. Will we be in the light or will, or will we be in the darkness of the world? Let's go ahead and stand. For some of you, you have not been born again above, from above, born of water and spirit. And it, it is time for you to accept and believe and enter into the light. And so we will invite you to come and make that confession to us this morning and enter into the waters of baptism to, to join with the kingdom of God, to be born again, to be born from above. Uh, for most of us, we've made that decision before, but it's a constant reminder for us because the darkness of the world can overtake us. It, it distracts us. It confuses us. And so we need to be reminded to hear the voice of God and the voice of God only. And so this is a time of us to pray with one another. It's a time for us to confess to one another. It's a time for us to encourage one another. And so I'd encourage you to, to get together in groups, to come forward and pray with one of the elders, to, to get together as a family or a small group, and spend some time in prayer as we encourage one another and remind one another what we believe in, that we believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and that God loved us so much that he would send his son for us so that we can experience the light, and the life that comes from him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for Nicodemus and this conversation that he has with Jesus. And God, as we enter into this story, we pray that we will be reshaped by it and that you will transform us and that we will experience the life that you describe for us. A new life that is found in your son, Jesus. We thank you for lifting him up for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.